Well, good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. It's about what I thought it would be like. I bet some of you guys were up a little late last night, right? <laughs> Shooting off fireworks and all that. Hey, Happy New Year. My name is Jonah. I am the missions pastor here at Vista. Excited to share with you all this morning as we kick off 2023, a brand new year. I'll tell you this, regardless of what 2022 was for you, whether it was the best year of your life or a really hard year, maybe a mix of something in between, um, today's a new day and it's a new year and it can be cheesy sometimes, but I would say, um, let's just receive the new year together um, and dive into what God has for us in 2023. As I said about thinking about this morning, um, I was reflecting on 2022 this past year and some of my favorite memories. And, um, you know, like everybody else, I had good times and bad times. But one of my favorite times that I remember from the past year was a trip I got to take with my small group to Lake Granbury. We took a weekend trip um, to go out to the lake and and have a good time. But I got to be honest, um, on the way out to the lake, I was pretty grumpy. And um, my, uh, my wife was driving, and I was grumpy, and we were just kind of bickering the whole way. I'm sure it's never happened to you before. And um, we're, we're driving, and I had taken my computer to do some work as we're going. Just there's a lot going on at work. It had been a really busy week. I was not happy going out to the lake. I was like, this is a waste of time. Why are we making this trip? I have so much going on. I'm too busy. This is not going to be fun. And uh, even when we arrived, we get to this beautiful lake house on the lake, and I'm there with all my friends and favorite people, and and I just had a really difficult time slowing down and connecting, um, being present with the people that I was with. And that night, actually, I I ended up going to bed early um, before anybody else did, just because I was having such a tough time. Uh, But the next day, we get up in the morning, and we set out on the lake. Um, We jump on some jet skis. My buddy, Aaron Flieger, I probably terrorized him, acting like I did know how to drive a jet ski, even though I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but it was a blast. Drove the jet skis all day, did some tubing and swimming, drank a few root beers, you know, family worship. Um, it was a good time. At the end of the day, we, we come back to the, the lake house to have dinner overlooking the water. And then my wife and I, we pack things up and we, we hit the road to come back to be here for Sunday morning. And uh, I remember driving and it was just kind of from my, my inner being, I was just like beaming a bit. Like it was weird. It kind of felt odd. And I was like, turned to my wife and I said, why, why am I so happy right now? Like, what's wrong with me? Why am I so happy? And she said, well, like, you, uh, you spent an entire day away from your phone. Uh, you were with people that you love having a really fun time. I think that's probably why you're pretty happy. And I thought about it, and, and that had been one of the first times in a long time that I had just taken a day to rest, to be present, to spend time in creation and with people that I loved been one of the first times in a long time that I chose to take an intentional day of rest, an intentional day of Sabbath. And so as I prepared for this morning, thinking about 2023, I'm a goals guy. And so I was like, what, what goals would I have? What goals would, we, would other people want to have and this sort of thing? And, um, you know, I thought about maybe I could lose 20 pounds or learn how to play the banjo this year or something like that. Um, but really what, I, what it came down to was that I feel like for me, that 2023 should be a year of doing less and not doing more. Not losing 20 pounds, nothing like that. 2023 should be the year of the tortoise, not the year of the dragon. You feel me? And I imagine that I'm not the only one in the room who feels like as I head into a new year, maybe what I need to do is actually do less. In fact, in October of this year, the American Psychological Association released a study 
claiming that a third of American adults claim to be so stressed that their daily function is impeded. And then 50% of American adults under the age of 45 would say that they live with a chronic stress condition. All that to say, we are stressed out, folks. We are stressed. And maybe one solution to the stress that many of us feel is choosing to do less and not more. Maybe that might be a solution to some of the stress we feel in our lives. But if we're honest, doing less is a bit countercultural. Um, being about less might even feel a little scandalous in our culture today. Our culture has gradually been accelerating in terms of speed and productivity over the past century. And the year of 2007, which brought with it the iPhone, um, set things on a trajectory that I don't know that we will ever recover from in terms of speed and productivity. Personal technologies like the smartphone have made modern North American people to be working and producing more than ever before. And smartphones are certainly one of the most prevalent and invasive distractions that the human species has ever encountered. Um, but simply from a productivity standpoint, the hours of work that modern American people are putting in is more than any generation ever before us. And work is touching spaces that it has never touched before in our lives. And if you don't believe me, I bet you can't say that you've never sent an email while sitting on the toilet. Am I right? It says sent from my iPhone. Maybe it should say like sent from the bathroom. Maybe. Right. It's, it's funny, but my, my proposal is that uh, behind the overworking that we generally are guilty of is a core motivation of desire that we generally have a desire for more, which we feel can be achieved through work or busyness or hustle. This more might be more money for some of us, but maybe it's just more things, maybe more recognition, more feeling of purpose or accomplishment. Maybe we have a desire for our kids to have more, to be more, and so we have them in all sorts of activities every night of the week. Maybe we feel like we have to do more with the limited time that we have left on this earth. And the desire for something more, which I think is a core motivation for many of us, tends to manifest itself in the form of stress and anxiety, which makes us wonder, oh, 50% of American adults under the age of 45 are living stressed. And so I think every single one of us has to realize that we have a chronic condition that we have to deal with, and that is that we are finite beings. We are finite, meaning that we have bounds and limits that we don't get to set or make up for ourselves. And despite what modern technology might try to tell us, we're only capable of occupying one square piece of dirt at a time. No matter our individual capacity, at some point it will be reached. We are not infinite, as much as we like to think that we might be. In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer proposes a really simple formula to communicate these ideas. He says that being a finite being with in infinite desire equals restlessness. And I think that word right there greatly describes the culture in which we live today, that we are a restless people. And the result of our condition as being finite but having infinite desire will just lead us down a path of restlessness until we discover how to rest. 
And as people who follow the way of Jesus, we've been gifted true and lasting rest. And one way that we can live into that is through the practice of Sabbath. So that's what, something I want to talk about a bit today. The idea of Sabbath um, in Scripture, from the Hebrew Scripture, it centers around a couple of different words that pop up throughout Scripture. The first is the word Shabbat. And this word literally means to cease from working, to stop working. Now, Sabbath was a command that was given by God to the people, people of Israel, and it was included in the Ten Commandments. And Sabbath, to this day, is an essential practice of Jewish life. If you go to Israel today on the Sabbath, um, if you're in a building that has an elevator, that elevator will stop at every single floor automatically and the doors will open. Because if you press the button, you're making fire. And that's a forbidden practice on the Sabbath. And so these ways of living, these ways of living out the Sabbath are incorporated into every aspect of life. So Sabbath, the idea is that we're giving our bodies and our souls an entire day of rest from work and resting in the presence of God. What's interesting is that there's a much less known um, word associated with Sabbath that appears throughout scripture as well, and that is the word nuach. Now this word, it can't just simply be described with a simple definition, it takes some analogies to understand, but the idea behind the word nuach is to settle in. And what that means, it, it should invoke thoughts and feelings of um, like a Saturday morning sitting in front of the warm fireplace with a cup of coffee in your hand that you're settling in. Or maybe you're settling into a long dinner with friends you haven't seen um, for a while with some nice food and wine in front of you. Or, or maybe it's, it's like going to a relative's house that you haven't seen for a bit and you're unpacking your suitcase and putting your things away because you know this is where you're supposed to be for a little bit. That's the idea behind nuach, which is this word that appears throughout scripture. To nuach means that we release our addiction to work and our desire for more, and that we received God's gracious gift of rest and accept that invitation to cease from striving, to settle in, and to be present with God. Now, receiving the gift of Sabbath is difficult because it's contrary to everything that our culture is motivated toward. But it was incredibly difficult for the people of Israel also. And that's where we'll dive in a bit today, in the book of Ezekiel. So the Old Testament book of Ezekiel is a recorded prophecy of an Israelite priest named Ezekiel. And the setting for Ezekiel's prophecy comes at a time in which Babylon has overtaken Judah and taken captive many of the people of Israel, taken them back to Babylon to live as second-class citizens. And it was believed that God was using the Babylonian king and his armies to punish Israel for their unfaithfulness. Now the prophet Ezekiel, as he's prophesying and communicating these things, it's clear that he's very much of that opinion, that Israel is getting what Israel deserves as he's writing. They've turned to false gods and to idol worship, and they're not living with love and compassion. So according to Ezekiel, the punishment of exile and the destruction of their homeland is fitting for Israel's crimes. So that's the setting that we find ourselves in. We'll be in Ezekiel chapter 20. If you want to turn there, it'll also be on the screen. Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 1 through 4, it starts in this way. Now in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth of the month, men from the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord, and they set before me, they set before Ezekiel. And then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, This is what the Lord God says. Do you yourselves come to inquire of me? 
As I live, declares the Lord, I will certainly not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them? Will you judge them, son of man? Make known to them the abominations of their fathers. Really joyful story this morning. (laughs) So these leaders from the nation of Israel come to Ezekiel and they say, Ezekiel, we want a word from God. Give us a word, spiritual man. What do you have from God? And Ezekiel says, I don't know if you're ready for this one, but um, God says, hey, buckle up because I'm gonna tell you the story of your people and the story of your fathers. Ezekiel chapter 20, now verse five through nine. This is what the Lord God says. This is Ezekiel's reply to these leaders. On the day when I chose Israel and swore to the descendants of the house of Jacob and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt, when I swore to them saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day, I swore to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had selected for them, which was flowing with milk and honey which is all the glory of all the lands. And I said to them, throw away each of you the detestable things of his eyes and do not defile for yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and they were not willing to listen to me. And they did not throw away each of them the detestable things of their eyes nor did they they abandon the idols of Egypt. And then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them, to use my anger up against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name that it would not be defiled in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I had made myself known to them by bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So Ezekiel's prophecy centers around the story of the people of Israel and God leading them out of the land of Egypt into the promised land. And despite their chosenness, the Israelites were tempted to turn to idols, to the idols of the land of Egypt in which they had been captive for so long. God is even tempted to destroy the people because of their idolatry, but that's not consistent with God's character. God says, these are my chosen people. I will not destroy them. My loving kindness will prevail over my anger toward them. And so God chooses to bring the generation out of Egypt and lead them toward the promised land, which God had chosen for them. But we'll continue in verse 10. So God says, I took them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. And I gave them my statutes and informed them of my ordinances, which if a person follows them, then he will live by them. Also, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them so that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So in this passage, God is referencing the biblical story in which he extends the great commandments to Moses on behalf of all of Israel, gives them a way of life, a way of being, a way of existing as God's people. God says, Among other things, I gave them my Sabbaths. And the Sabbath was extended by God to be a sign between God and God's people. Now, there were no weekends in the ancient world. No such thing as that. It's a pretty common idea to have a weekend. And so the life of an Israelite in Egypt was spent making bricks every day from sunup to sundown. Make bricks every day for your entire life. But when God set God's people apart in the nation of Israel, God said, no, 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 you are different. And one gift that I'm extending to you as my people is a day of rest in the Sabbath. And so God extended the Sabbath, a day of rest as a gift. But we'll shortly see the people of Israel, they can't handle it. They don't know what to do with it. Chapter 20, verses 13 through 17 reads this way. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes and they rejected my ordinances, which if a person follows them, then he will live by them. And they greatly profaned my Sabbaths. 
And then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them in the wilderness to annihilate them. But I acted for the sake of my name, so that it would not be defiled before the eyes of the nations, before whose eyes I had brought them out. And also I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all the lands, because they rejected my ordinances. And as for my statutes, they did not walk in them. They also profaned my Sabbaths, because their heart continually followed their idols. Yet my eye spared them, and rather than destroying them, I did not bring about their annihilation in the wilderness. Again, sound familiar? God's claim against the people of Israel is simple but grim. They have consistently turned away from God and toward idolatry, and they profaned, disgusted, and disgraced God's ordinances and God's Sabbath gift to them. And as a result, that generation would not experience the promised land of milk and honey because they had rejected God's commands and profaned the Sabbath. God claims their heart continually followed their idols. And so Israel's disgrace of the Sabbath was not because they were just busy or because they had a lot going on or because they didn't perform some religious duty in the, in the precise and exact way. No, no, Israel, Israel rejected God's invitation to Sabbath because something else had a hold of their heart. Something else had a hold of their heart. The idols which they were drawn to had a hold of their heart and it led them to reject God's Sabbath, and they were letting a desire for something other than God dictate the rhythm of their lives. And the idols which were so tempting to them in Egypt had a grip on their hearts and their minds that they found no use in God's Sabbath. Over and over again, Israel chooses idols over God's Sabbath gift. But God won't reject Israel. God's loving kindness is too much and too powerful and too infinite to abandon the people of Israel despite their faithlessness. And despite the rejection of God's great gifts, God won't stop coming back for God's people. This passage, it ends with kind of a sassy retort from God to these elders who've come to ask God questions. God says this in uh, verses 31 and 32. So shall I be inquired of you, house of Israel, after telling you the story of your generations? As I live, declares the Lord God, I will certainly not be inquired of by you. And whatever comes into your mind certainly will not come about. When you say, we will be like the nations, like the families of the lands, serving wood and stone. And God is clear. God will not let the people of Israel be given over to idols, and God will continue coming back for them, persistently and compassionately pursuing them. And God's people are the people of his commandments and of his Sabbath. They're not worshipers of wood and stone. No matter how tightly they hold to their idols, God will not stop pursuing them. And this continues, we see in the biblical story of God coming in the flesh and the person of Jesus, we finally get a glimpse that God's vision, God's idea for the Sabbath is a gift of proximity, that we have proximity with God. The Sabbath properly understood is about the gift of ceasing from work and settling into the freedom that we found in the person of Jesus. In Mark chapter two, Jesus claims that the Sabbath was made for humans and was intended as a gift, not a burden. He says that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And the Sabbath gift is an invitation which says, pause your body, pause your mind, pause your devices, and come into proximity with God. Now Jesus is the only person who solved our finite problem 
and he did so by rising from the grave. And so the Sabbath is our joy of expressing the freedom that we found, that we can cease from striving. We can accept our finite state and trust that Jesus has overcome the grave. But when I read this passage in Ezekiel, my gut just goes, a little bit. Because in this story, I find my own story. And I find many of our stories. God's extended to us the gift of Sabbath, the gift of proximity to us, but our temptation is to allow our hearts to continually follow our idols. And so for each of us, these idols are different. It might be work, it might be money, reputation, recognition. We idolize the nuclear family and the image that our families portray. We idolize accomplishment in politics and entertainment. And unlike God, these idols, they're compassionless. They don't have compassion for us. The only way that we can feed our idols is through work, consumption, hustle, and restlessness. Now our our idols, they don't let us rest because they're not the God of Israel whose gift to us is Sabbath rest. And despite this, God continues to pursue us just like he did Israel. God is tempted, hurt, um, frustrated with us, but he won't give up on us. God's character won't allow it. His love and kindness pursues us over and over and over again. And God continually extends the invitation to experience true and lasting rest. Because Jesus is our Lord and he's overcome what it means to be finite, we're able to experience true rest. We don't have to strive for more. We're invited to recenter our hearts, resist our idols, and walk with Jesus. And so the gift of Sabbath is a gift of accepting who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And when we accept that, we're able to experience rest. And so as modern people in a busy time, such as 2023, how do we do this? How are we supposed to live into the gift of rest? And I think we, what we have to do is find a sense of, ris- of rhythm in our lives. If our lives have no sense of rhythm, the only alternative for us is chaos. If we're constantly going from thing to thing, from activity to activity, from device to device, we have no rhythm, we are living in chaos. And we're engaging, when we engage in a rhythm of rest, by intentionally taking a full day from work, from busyness, from distraction, from technology, and just being present, God begins to shape our souls, our minds, and our bodies and allow us rest. By doing this, we're able to settle in to cease from striving and to enjoy the gift of rest which has been offered to us, but it's not possible if we don't work intently to create a rhythm of rest in our lives. Now this can be difficult because we have to trim some things away at times. It might mean that we have to work less. It might mean that maybe in 2023 we'll make less money. It might mean that the activity, all the activities that the kids are involved in, we might need to trim some of that away so that we can find a sense of true and lasting rest. But the return is that true and lasting gift of rest that we're able to live into. It will be difficult, but the return is worth it. And so a great way for you, if you're struggling, how how would I do this, where would I even start, would be in living out Vista's rule of life, which is a set of four daily and weekly habits for us to be formed into people that look like we believe that Jesus is our Lord. And so part of Vista's rule of life is saying, hey, each week, I'm gonna take a whole day to Sabbath, to rest. I'm gonna settle in, I'm gonna put devices away and just exist in the one square foot of space that I can, I can be, I can accept my finiteness and be here. To be present 
to receive the gift of rest. And when we do this, I believe that our entire lives, when we orient our lives around rhythm and Sabbath as one of those rhythms, that our things just begin to fall into line. We're able to take a step out of chaos and into rhythm. And so if you need help with this, a great opportunity for you that's coming is we're really excited to begin offering the course Practicing the Way. And this is a, a, about a 12-week-long course in which you, alongside other people, will get to journey through spiritual practices. And interesting enough, Sabbath is the very first spiritual practice that the course will go through. You'll spend four weeks on what it means to Sabbath. And that's a great opportunity for you if, if you want more in 2023, if you want to grow living the way of Jesus, it's a great opportunity for you. And you can find more information about that at thevista.tv slash connect. I'll close with this. In 2022, um, some of my best friends named Travis and Katie, they, they took upon themselves a challenge, and that is that they decided to go on 52 dates in 2022, one each week, with each other, not with other people. Um, and, and what's funny, yeah, I know. What's funny is um, they, they posted on Instagram each week to just what they were doing, like what their date was that week so that others could follow along with them as they lived out kind of this date, 52 date challenge. And so I got to where I look forward, like what the, what's the date gonna be this week? Like what are they doing, you know? And some weeks it was, they would, you know, just stay at home and watch a movie um, or they would go out to dinner or they would play putt-putt or whatever they did. Um, but each week it was awesome to see like, what is it that they were doing? And um, what was cool is that they built this rhythm into their life. It was a thing that it just became natural. Maybe the first few weeks it was difficult to make the time, but by, by week 50, it was like natural. It was just something that they do is they intentionally spend time together each and every week. And so I, I would ask if we did the same thing, just around the idea of Sabbath, of taking time to rest in 2023, who would we look like a year from now? What would our lives look like? Would we fall into that category of 50% of people who live with chronic stress? Just, just asking the question. What would it look like if we chose to take 52 Sabbaths in 2023? And if you need to, you can post on Instagram and we can all follow along with you and hold you accountable, you know? So together as we head into this new year, I would ask what if together we took and accepted God's gracious gift of rest and to live into the freedom that's been offered to us by Jesus? Can we do that? Let's pray together. God, thank you for today. Thank you um, for this new year. And we receive it with open arms, Lord. The gift of a new year of starting over. And God, we confess that at times um, this past year, maybe we've been too busy. Maybe we have worked too much. We haven't made space for rest. We confess the motivation of desire that exists within many of us. Um, but God, we accept your gift of rest. And we lean into and trust that because Jesus has overcome the grave that we have freedom that we can live into. We don't have to strive for more. God, I pray that we be a people that live into this as we look forward to 2023. We love you and we'll say amen. Amen.